what you're saying is so true and it feels so good to hear because just like anybody's experience in life, when you find somebody that can relate as being a child entertainer, it can feel so lonely. But the one person that you know feels the same as another one just like you. I know. I look at you and I see myself. Stereotypes about child stars and their longevity in Hollywood are well known. We've all heard the same tragic stories, but contrary to popular belief, there's a larger number of child actors who have beaten the odds and continue with their showbiz journey. These are their stories. I'm Jaleel White, and this is Ever After. Uh, my guest today was born in Harvey, Illinois, but we can say she hails from the shy. Um, her film debut was... Barbershop 2, back in business, playing Queen Latifah's niece. Uh, but then came the Spelling Bee movie that we all fell in love with her for, Aquila and the Bee. Next after that was Medea's Family Reunion. And from there, she acted in a string of films. Just too much stuff that I don't even want to like list it all. It's ridiculous. Go on IMDb. Because if you go on IMDb, it'll help her be more popular and she'll get more jobs. Uh <laughs> But she finally got the gig as True Jackson VP, and, uh, and she started making some real bank on Nickelodeon. But more recently, my girl was a series regular on the Fox horror comedy Scream Queens and is now the co-host of daytime talk show Strahan, Sarah, and Kiki. Please welcome Kiki Palmer. Hi. Oh, thank you for that, for that beautiful introduction. I mean, come on. You deserve it. It's so good to talk to you, Jaleel. <laughs> I appreciate it, Bobo. I love that snooty woman that you play on uh, on IG. Lady Miss Jacqueline. Yes, yes. I love her. I love her, darling. That's yes, it. yes, darling. Yes, yes. Janet, Janet, dear. <laughs> yes, yes. I would, I would love to remake Gilligan's Island one day, and you and I play like a black version of the Howls. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Gilligan's Island, me and you, that sounds epic. I'd be, I'd be Thurston Howell Black. I'm too old for you, darling, but I'm paid. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Miss Jacqueline loves an older man, honey. She would be with it. She would be with it. <laughs> she would be. She would be with all the emoji, the whole eggplant. She would be with it. She would be with it. <laughs> as long as he's paid, darling. Okay, as long as he's paid. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll never forget running into you and your parents in Santa Monica. Do you even remember that? Um, I kind of do. I mean, I remember fanning out on you when we first met. If it's my memory serves me. I don't know if I showed it, but I know that's me and my family. We especially when we first moved here, all those people that we love, you you being one of them. Whenever we got the chance to see them, we all would just be like, yo, we we love what you do. We love what you've done because it's so inspiring. So I know I fanned out. I had to. You were so humble. You And I just when looking at your parents at the time, they reminded me so much of of my parents. And um, and you had a quote, actually, you were like, you said, you said, my parents were extremely overprotective because they really didn't want me to become this asshole kid. And that is exactly my mother. But then there's, there's something, there's another side to that, that when your mom and your dad are more concerned with 
your behavior, they sometimes might miss the behavior of other people around you. Please speak to that. No, it's so true because, I mean, that's you speaking of, I think, like the trauma of fame that happens as a child actor and how it affects people around you. And while, you know, it's awesome that your parents making sure you're on point, sometimes they do miss every time we go over family's house, everybody's asking me to take a picture, you know, or, you know, when we're trying to do this or that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the, you know, I'm being more criticized or I'm being more looked at. And, you know, those are the things that happen with just you know, I guess what quote unquote popularity brings, but it becomes difficult in the family dynamic because you're still a kid. You have to be raised, but you're dealing with things that most parent parents, they're not trained to know. You know, our parents didn't know they, they're learning right along with us. So, uh, yeah. Now I went over to my grandmother's house, my great grandmother's house. And I remember I had just gotten a, a new Range Rover and, you know, she's still living in the hood. You know, they don't like to leave. They, they like, I'm right here. I ain't going nowhere. Right? And I know you got some of that. Enjoy it. Um, and, uh, but it really felt more like an appearance, like the way they were asking me for pictures and just fanning out over my car. And I was like, yo, man, this is Flossy House. Like, how come I get treated like this? Yeah. I came here for the opposite of that because this is the place where I feel most at ease where y'all not looking at me as my perception. Y'all know me for real. But again, you know, popularity, fame, whether it's family, friends, uh, lovers, whatever it is, it can affect everybody differently. And that's definitely something I learned early on. And I'm sure you too, being in our, our industry, it's, it's interesting what fame can do. Yeah. But you know, I believe in genetics and, and your parents were both actors and I didn't know that my parents were not both that. So they, they should have known if what they was making. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because my oldest, like all of us are into stuff, meaning we all, you know, you know, we all silly or singing or writing or dance. We're all creative, you know, kids. But I was just the first one that was like actually interested in going for it as a real career because we all were interested. My parents always talked to us about that. But I guess once I saw the opportunity, I really just took it immediately serious. Why? I have no idea. So you 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 pursued it. You told them I want it. Yeah. So, you know, they were, they read in the newspaper about Lion King auditions when I was about nine years old. And so it said, you know what it said? Oh, four, four foot six, you know, you know, Nala, we're looking for somebody that can sing and dance. And so, I mean, singing, I grew up in the church. Of course, I know my parents' background. They took me to my first musical when I was six at the Black Ensemble Theater. It was, uh, you know, a bio biopic of of uh, Jackie Wilson. So music and acting and those kind of things, they were in my life, but I didn't know kids did it. So when my mom told me, yo, she's seen this in the newspaper. Do I want to go down with her and my dad to try out? I'm like, try out. OK, this is something that you guys were talking. I remember y'all telling me about acting and I already know I love to sing. So let me just go out and try it. And so I went out and, and that was my first introduction to uh, acting and knowing what that felt like. And I immediately fell in love with it. And, and I already knew I loved singing. So from that moment on, I just said, you know, the same way a kid that plays soccer for the first time or throws a basketball for the first time, I liken it to my love for the arts. Once I got a taste of it, it became my number one hobby and my favorite thing to do. Got it. Got it. No, no, I, I love it. You, I spoke to Seth Green not too long ago who played uh, Scott Evil in Lost of Powers and and, but his resume is way longer than that. And but he said he loved auditioning. He could wait till he got another audition. Now, did you love auditioning? As a kid, I loved auditioning. I love, love, loved auditioning as a kid because I don't know why. It was just so new, new and fun and fresh. And 
And then as I, as you get older, you get even more attached to some of the dramatic, more roles that you play. Um, right. So as I got older, I realized that I had to be, also be careful with my, you know, with my tool when it came also to auditioning, you know, because it's still, t- you're still going into these emotions and diving into these characters and, you know, kind of taking on what that is. But as a kid, it was just straight excitement. Now talk to me though about the psychology of auditioning after you're famous now. So now you're in a room full of girls waiting to go in. You done signed in. They might be jerking you around in your time. Uh, you Come on, you know the truth. Yeah, no, <laughs> no it, it, it becomes different at different points, you know, from the beginning to when you've been doing it for a while for whether people recognize you, don't recognize you, whatever it is, it's all a different experience. So I remember thinking for me, it was just... I want to get back into it again. Because when you haven't been auditioning for a while, like, you know, when I did True Jackson VP, I wasn't auditioning for anything. I could only do that show. So what was more more so the conversation with my head was, what was auditioning like? You know, how has it changed? You know, what 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 is the the different way that I feel comfortable in a room? So I was so focused on relearning that because people don't realize auditioning is like one part of the thing and then the role is another part of the thing. You know what I mean? So it's two separate tools uh, or muscles, excuse me, you're using. So I, it was, it's, you know, after doing a show for a long time, getting back to auditioning, that's, it can be different. It can be like, okay, let me, let me get back into this. Auditioning was tough for me between the ages of like 25 and when my daughter was born, early thirties, um, because truth be told, I would end up on auditions and I was, you know, they're jerking around your time. You you got might be waiting longer than you, you were supposed to. Um, and then you get recognized by somebody maybe who hasn't gotten to where you are. And they're kind of even looking at you or trying to chat you up in the waiting room. Like, why are you here? And it's, and it's like, so I'm like, I just, again, like, how do you even react to somebody recognizing you as a star while you're sitting next to them waiting to go in for the same role? Yeah. I think I realized that everybody is, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Everybody's at a different place in how they know the business. So somebody may not realize it doesn't matter if you're Angelina Jolie, people audition. This is a part of it's a part of the industry, you know, whether it's on tape, whether you do it in a private room, whether you are straight to producer, whether it's a, you know, whatever it may be, they're different versions. So when I experienced that, I just really had to take it as this person's new to the industry. And I would, you know, if it's, you know, I can't, you know, I'm trying to focus on my audition. Then I'm like, you know, I'll go outside or I, I learn to, 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 you know, if, if I need more privacy, I create my privacy. Or I say, Hey, you know, okay, I'm getting to my lines, whatever, you know, but really that's all it is. You know, it's, everybody's at a different stage of, of, uh, what they know about the business. And so, you know, to that person that may take that moment, I, I've always tried to say, okay, you know what? They just, you know, they knew. They, they knew. knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, did you, uh, how did you, how did you deal with rejection? How did you deal with rejection then versus regaling rejection now as an adult? I think as a kid, it was, you know, my mom always told me, it's not always about you and your talent. Sometimes it's your age. Sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's that. And so it kind of like, you know, it was always this this conversation of whatever is for you is for you. So I think yes. she really was kind of mentally training me for the as- for that aspect of our industry that is rejection. And you can tend to take it personally. 
Um, and as I got older, I think it, it was kind of more so the same thing. But of course, you go through different phases. Like, you know, you were talking about a difficult age stage for you. I think for me, it was around like 18, 19, 20, because, you know, either I had to play a lot younger because I didn't, you know, in order to play my age, I had to be older. So the whole age thing sometimes when it comes to yeah. being able to play your age or not being able to play. I mean, I, I remember I was way into being my adult years still playing 16 and 15 and you know for me that was that was definitely kind of annoying because like damn you know I want to be able to play older roles but at the same time it's like okay I still can play younger so let me make sure that if it is a younger role it's still allowing me to express the range I want to express or you know explore creatively but that was definitely a difficult time for me being a you know the age thing and the different kind of roles that were available because of how you looked. Speaking of how you look uh you worked with the star maker known as Ice Cube a couple of times. Love Ice Cube. And um, you worked with him on uh, a barbershop and a movie called Long Shots. Yep. And Cube had to pull you aside and drop a nugget on you. Yes. And make you aware of uh, of your unconscious female power. And woman. So talk about that. Yeah, that what was... It is when, you, when, you, when you started off being the baby on the set, and then all of a sudden that crew member who was just so nice to hang out with or whatever is like, hey, baby, you can't be alone in the room with him. You Literally. Took, took and that's really and this is the thing. Every young woman goes through that moment, you know, whether it's on set with Ice Cube or it's your uncle letting you know when you, you're coming home from school, whatever it is. He was just taking a moment to let me know you're growing into a young woman. And so the way that you, you know, you may not realize it, but be careful of the way that, you know, you, you know, you're handling yourself around this set with these crew members and make sure that you're setting the boundaries you need to set so they don't take advantage of you. And I mean, it's true. I was going through through the transition of being a young woman and growing into womanhood. And, you know, that can be difficult because, you know, you just, you, you still in your kid mind, but people are seeing you more so as a woman. So just learning mm-hmm. how to handle yourself and, and, and knowing knowing that's power in itself. And um, at the time as a kid, I, I thought I was in trouble. You know, I was like, oh, you know what I do? But when I heard him, I understood it was, I don't think I could really understand the weight of it at that moment. But I think it affected me, obviously. And then as I got older, I really was able to unpack it for what it was and also be just like, that's so awesome that, uh, you know, those are the kind of people that I would work that I was working with. Because that's the other thing, you know, on sets. You will work around so many different types of people and, so when I look back on a lot of my my experiences on sets, I feel like I really was lucky and blessed to work with a lot of dope, dope humans. Oh, yeah. No, you you, you didn't just work with talent, but you work with people who were able to really drop gems on you. I mean, that's cute. You know, and, and that's I got a lot of respect for him and I'm, I'm cool with his son, Daryl. And it's like I just from 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 afar, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Maybe one day I get a chance to work with him. Um, who was your manager back then, though, your mom or your dad? My mom, my mom has always, and my dad, I mean, my dad and her always were partners and everything. So, I mean, I know, you know, everything that she discussed, decisions she's made for me, with me. I know he was involved in the conversations, but my mom has always been really the driving force uh, when it comes to navigating my career and helping me on that, especially early on. And, and what age would you say they start hipping to your, to your money? Like, okay, this is, this is what's up on money. Yeah, um, they really started to break. The, so they told me around 12, you know, but then they did to me. One of the best things that they ever did was around 14. They started introducing to me to what a business manager is. And to oh, wow. me that, uh, you know, that 
has been huge in my life when it comes to the management of the Kiki Palmer business. Um, and so, yeah, so when I was 14, they broke it down for real, for real. And and, and I've worked with that same guy. So before they broke it down, fake, fake? Yeah. Well, fake, fake, what was the first fake, fake At 12 years down? old, all they could tell me at 12 years old was, you got a Coogan account. This is the percentage that goes to your Coogan account. This is SAG. This is what your dues are. This is what you made for this movie. This is how we, you know, we, we do something negotiating and, and you have a lawyer. It was kind of like, you know, poop, 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 poop. But when I got oh, I love it. a little older, it's like, you know, this is what this means. And this is how you manage your money. And, you, you know, you have to start saving. And, you know, they started, you know, getting all into that stuff, which, I mean, really has, I, I benefited so much from that. You're going to laugh at me. I'm, I'm going to let you laugh at me. I did probably almost 100 episodes of Family Matters and I had no idea how much money I would make. Yeah, but that means none. But you were a kid. My parents didn't tell me. They just they would not tell me until I was about like knocking on the door of fifteen. I was like fourteen, going on fifteen. They start. They finally started letting what, me know. So were you surprised? So we were about the same age where it got for real, for real. Fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. That's the same. So so what did you think about it when you were hearing that? How did it affect you? The the money conversation, the just the oh, this is a real job. When did how did you feel when you gathered that? Yeah, nah. Um, Ooh, my mom did a lot of things to just like maintain control. So she was looking after me, but at the same time, she was maintaining control. Yeah, because you could have got both wild, dude. Anybody could. She got to make sure the kids. And uh, but but a couple of things that my mom did. You mentioned the Coogan Law. So for people who aren't aren't aware, there's a Coogan Law in child acting where you have to put in a percentage. I believe it's twenty five percent of the child's salary away in the trust. Um, the music industry doesn't have that. They don't. And it's because of a real kid. I forget his first name, but his last name was Coogan. Jackie Coogan. Jackie yeah. Coogan. And, um, you know, yeah. what happened was, I guess, you know, his, his his parents stole his money. I don't know if I'm speaking correctly okay. on that. But, yeah, but that's why the law was created to protect, uh, you know, child actors. So, yeah, they don't have it in music, though. They don't have it in music. Yeah, they don't have it in music. Uh, but, um, but my mom would, um, oh, my gosh. An article came out in People magazine that said what our salaries were. And and an article came out where it was like, you know, who makes what on what show? Oh, yeah. So we had we're that too. That, right? We look at that crap and it was like, Jaleel White makes $75,000 episode. And we look at each other, we're like, no, we don't. <laughs> so just to show you how, like, right? Just to show you, like, how. Especially in that we time, too. That's like. We wanted to clarify it. We wanted to be like, hey, that's not the truth. <laughs> right? Not seeing the game. But they didn't understand it was like, wish they had said it was a hundred. And then maybe somebody will give me a hundred and one. <laughs> like, we weren't hip to the game. <laughs> the gag is, baby, it was true love. <laughs> it was true love. Who, which parent would you uh, butt heads with the most? Growing up? Ooh, I would say it was my hey, Hold on, hold on, hold on. And I'm going to force you to. I'm going to force you to do this, because even if your parents listen to this. Which one, though, as a kid, knew you better? Like, they know what Kiki will do. <sighs> I think that, so I'm I feel like I'm, my mom and I are so, so close that we end up butting heads at times. Mm. Because we're so close and we spent so much time together on the road, on the sets, you know, 
she also was my acting coach. So we spent so much time together that we would have more of that, you know, and plus my dad, I was kind of like scared of my dad. Like, I'm not going to, you know, hey, sorry, dad. But I think that more than my mom, maybe in a weird way, my dad is able to more so predict my steps. And the reason I say this is because my dad is able to be a little bit more laid back while my mom is like, <laughs> and my dad has always been like, he's going to make the right choice. Like trust, you know, so I think he's more able to predict my steps, but I think my mom and I, we were very, very close, but that's why sometimes we would butt heads. We are exactly the same in that regard. I butt heads with my mom and my dad just chill and was like, Gail, like my dad, like seriously, I'm going to hit you with the real. Like literally on prom night, my dad came over to me and like dabbed me up and was like, be safe tonight, son. And handed, put a condom in my in my hand. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Wait, I'm like, Dad, he's like, hey, no, 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 hey, no, no, just, just take that with you. Just take I'm that with so you. dead. <laughs> I'm so dead Would you say that with you. Just say that with you. I can't. <laughs> right? It was like, my mom had been dealing with my bow tie, my shoes, there. my dad just sitting there minding his business the whole time. Yeah. You know, Anytime sure my dad did say my- something, I'm thinking of my mom, because my, my mom's name's Sharon, my dad's name Larry. Anytime my dad did something, I'm like, now Sharon, why did you put Larry up to this? Larry don't have, it's just like when your mom come in like, your daddy gonna whoop with you when you get home. When you get home, it's like me while daddy come in, like, he don't know what's going on. Now he gotta be mad at somebody. Like, that's definitely, anytime my dad says something, I'd be like, mom, you done put dad up to this. He don't got nothing to do with it. Why you mess with this? I, I love it. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I love this. You guys, when I was a kid, my mom would never let me have sugary cereals. All the stuff with tigers on them and dragons and chocolate looking Dracula people. I was never allowed to touch any of those cereals as a kid. Now I'm a grown man, real grown man, and I need to watch my waistline, but I still like sugary cereals. So guess what we have now? We have Magic Spoon. All the flavor and none of the junk. Zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Come on, four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I'm partial to blueberry and frosted. Those are my favorites. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash ever to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code ever at checkout to get that free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash ever and use the code ever for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. So how much normal school did you go to? Between, especially like in, in middle school. Yes, up from, so I went, of course, preschool, kindergarten, up until the fifth grade. Then fifth grade, that's when we moved to California, and that's when I started homeschooling. From that on, that point on, up until, you know, I graduated, was all homeschooling. So you never went to normal school as a middle school? Like, yeah, like seventh grade, high school, none of that. Dang, I'm so jealous. Man, really? You know why? It's like, I know you missed something. But you didn't miss anything that you need for where the future is going. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even realize how you were ahead of the game. You were getting homeschooled. Now we Zoom schooling. Like... I hated homeschooling. I hated homeschooling. I wanted nothing more to socialize with kids my age. And look, I got to socialize with kids my age sometimes on set. But, you know, I wanted to socialize with people that weren't always in the industry. Yeah, real kids. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, real ones. So I literally was like devastated that I had no way to get to, you know, 
just regular school and that regular vibe. Like, that's really what I long for. But I will say now, having to have gone to, uh, you know, normal school, I do feel like in a lot of ways it did help me to, it, it did it did help me. Like, the fact that I was homeschooled in a lot of ways, the way that I think or, you know, independently maybe, you know. I feel like, it, you know, it's a different experience, but I appreciate it now more than I did back then, I tell you. Oh, 100%. 100%. You were... Vi- just as much a singer as you are an actress. Yeah. And that's a, it's a parallel journey, but it's a very different journey. And, and so I'm, 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 I'm going to jump off to something different. And you were mentored by R. Kelly. Yes. Okay. I grew up loving R. Kelly. So everything that's happened to him at this point is, is very weird. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you anything cliche. I'm literally going to bring you joy with how we go discuss this. Uh, I have an R. Kelly story. You can either top it with a better story or just tell me what parts of him you can relate to in my story. Okay. Okay. All right. So, (laughs) so I wrote this movie called R. Kelly stole my girlfriend and it was a dope movie. It was, it was about this guy who took his girl to an R. Kelly concert with intentions of proposing, but his golden moment was ruined when R. Kelly invited his girl on stage and, you know, you know, does what he does to women on stage, sexed her down and took her backstage, never to be seen again for the rest of the evening. <laughs> that sounds really funny, though. Oh, it was hysterical. It was a hysterical movie, right? So this dude, he done dropped his darn ring on the ground and everything. And then his girl gets pulled on stage. And and then, boom, she gone for the rest of the evening. And then we got 60 more pages to get through. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that was the movie. And, uh, you know, I got put in touch with CAA. And I'm, I'm sitting there with Brian Lord and Aaron Kelly and, yeah, at the Four Seasons. And I'm, I'm pitching my heart out. And he had headphones on. He was listening to music while we were at the table. No. Yeah, he was listening to music at the table. And um, and then, um, you know, once I got into the pitch, though, you know, he took him off and kind of pretended he was listening. And uh, he was real polite. And, he, you know, he was real, real polite, though. It was really, like, extra gentlemanly. But just, you know, not really connecting with the story. You know, bitch, I can tell. So then as it broke down into small talk, I was like, hey, you play basketball? And he was like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I play ball. I play ball. So I'm like, yeah, I was like, oh, shoot. And you know, my boys and I, we rent a gym out. You know, we gonna play tonight. You know, he's trying to get down. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, take his information. You know, it's time, you know, take his information. So, um, you know, okay, cool. I don't know how the pitch went, you know, but maybe I can bond with him and figure it out a little better, you know, at, at while we hoop. So I'm driving down PCH, headed to the gym later on that night, and I get a phone call, and it's his, his, his security. And they jump on with me, and it was like, hey, um, um, Mr. Kelly is here, R is here, and the uh, the gym is secure. I'm like, oh, what? I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't tell the dudes that I hoop with that R. Kelly was coming tonight. So what are you talking about? The gym is secure. <laughs> right? So, so when I get there, my boys are sitting in the stands, like, you know, 10 of them, like, what's going on? And there's security at every door. He's talked the, the, the janitor into open up the high school gym shower area for himself. He's got... Four brothers he done bought with him. And it's rude, actually, to bring other people to a run when you got invited. So you're supposed to go by your damn self. This Negro brought four fools. And and he also brought, like, four chicks on top of the security that were, like, there to, like, be like, woo! All right? So so, so we start hooping. And uh, 
Well, I'm trying to figure, I came up with a way to break up the teams because the guys were like, almost like, what are we going to do with R and his his team? So it's like, why don't we just let it be R and his team? So it's like, R is your five, and we'll the first five who got here will play. So I jumped on. We start doing it. My man takes a three-point shot from like Steph Curryville. And it don't, it, don't, it don't come nowhere near the rim. So we go back, we score. He come back down. He dropped, he hit another one from Steph Curryville. This time it hit the rim, but it was like that damn sure wasn't going in. So he does it about three, four times in a row. And by the time he did it the fourth time, I was like, yo, my man, we just competing against his shooting percentage. Like he ain't passed the ball once. This, I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen that like this. This is wild. Right. So, um, so, so finally he drove to the basket. We up big now. He drove to the basket and then he missed the shot, but then he called a foul. And nobody was around him. <laughs> like no one was around him, Kiki. And he's like, foul. Check ball. So then he started doing that in succession with every possession. And I was like, oh, so that's how we're gonna get back in the game after we done throw up four or five terrible three-point shots, and now we up like, you know, a lot. So my boy is feeling uncomfortable at this point guarding him because he's like, Man, I want to argue this stuff, but this is R. Kelly, man. Like, I ain't trying to really be arguing with R. Kelly and his security standing right over there. So, so I was like, I got on my real black shit. I was like, I was like, look, switch. I got this thing. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, switch. I got it. I got it. And so I knew psychologically, I said, if the guy who plays Urkel is guarding him, he's gonna, he's gonna chill out with some of these antics. He's just gonna play ball. And so, so we open, and it's and it's hella good and physical between us, but he's not he's not calling that crap no more. Crap no yeah. more. And he brought he brought four dudes essentially whose jobs it was to rebound the ball and pass it to him. None of them ever took a shot. And then when they would lose games, he would cuss them out on the sideline and berate them. Like he was a coach, like and and they would just sit there and be like, okay, nah, all right, we got this, man. Come on, you know we got this. We just got to get in sync. Boom, 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 boom. And so, uh, bottom line, they lost every game that night. And you know, he left with a good attitude and showed me some love. And he was just like, no, nah, you can really hoop, man. You're not like one of these little little uh, Hollywood hoopers or whatever. And he's like, yeah, man, I appreciate that. You know, but think about that pitch. I'd love to make that movie with you. And then literally, like six months later, boom, we peeing on people. <laughs> No. <laughs> so that's my R. Kelly story. I wanted to share it, but now I want you to talk about the things that you saw in it. I've seen him play basketball, and that he definitely be taking them Steph Curry shots for <laughs> sure. One thousand percent, one thousand percent, and don't pass either. <laughs> he don't pass, dog. Like he don't pass. Like somebody should be removed from the court. Don't pass. <laughs> but you know what? Like you said, when you bring your people and. They know their job, and hey. Kiki, he, seriously, he had a staff of like 15 people there to watch him who? Yes. Like, do you understand how successful you have to be and how different you have to be? That's how you, that's how you play ball, though? <laughs> All right. All right, you saw enough in it. I shared my little story. I ain't going to visit that too much. Um, how old were you when you moved out, though? When I moved out, 18. You moved out at 18? Okay, I moved out at 17 when I went to UCLA. So you were 18. Oh, yes. you. Oh, yes. Yeah. See, yeah. I didn't go to college. 
I didn't go to college, but you ain't I, at eight. So wait, but you went to USC or UCLA? You said UCLA. I'm a Bruin. UCLA. How was it going to going to college after uh, being Urkel? I mean, I feel I went to college during Urkel. Uh, yeah, I went to that. Yeah, and that made it weird on the day tip. Uh, it really did, you know, because because the sisters they want you know they want football players and basketball players. You know what I'm saying? They don't they don't really want to mess with my suspenders until they see the car. Right. Oh, now so, get into it. Now get into it. <laughs> get into the checks, love. So, you know, that that made freshman year and sophomore year a little rough. But uh, yeah, I did in 94, 95. I'm really dating myself. I was a sophomore freshman. Matter of fact, Michael Jordan was shooting Space Jam in the summer of 95 Whoa. on the Warner Brothers lot. So I was that was fun between going to UCLA, Warner Brothers lot, everything. It was magical. Like, I'll be honest, I, I loved college. I just don't think it applies to the practical life of what it is to be a celebrity. And it doesn't help you at all with the business of what we have to deal with and the psychological. You know what I'm saying? Like even when we went jumped in each other's DMs, I just felt like there was a there was a camaraderie. Yes. That just happened almost instantly. Instantly. Where, was, where you were able to say, This thing ain't crazy. I see you. So what's up? You know, and, and then vice versa. I'm like, I already know what kind of woman you are just to even be where you were. And so we just made this happen so easily. You know what I'm saying? It's like in college, Kiki, it doesn't help us with that. It doesn't help us with that vibe. Please speak to that where you just, the, I feel like I'm talking too much and I want to hear from you about what it is to be a former child performer and you vibing with another one. No, no, no. You not, you, you're not talking too much about you at all. What you're saying is so true and it feels so good to hear because it's it's a specific experience. Just like anybody's experience in life, when you find somebody that can relate to ones that is as unique or it feels as unique as being a child entertainer, you can feel so it can feel so lonely. But the one person that you know feels the same as another one just like you. I know what you, you know, I don't know every little thing you've gone through, but you're right. I, I look at you and I see myself and I'm like, I know what that man had to deal with. I know I know what, you know, his experiences could have been like. So, you know, it really does mean a lot. I've had this, I know you talked to Raven recently, and when I talked to her, you know, tears in my eyes because it's it's that feeling. You know, I don't care how good or well-behaved child actors are. Ultimately, you still got to get a little bit lucky. So I'm going to get a story out of you somehow because I I took up too much time to talk about R. Kelly. But, but... Was there ever like a brush with the law? Oh yes, that you might have had where you like you escaped it. Oh yeah, you know we get mad warnings if you got charisma. But <laughs> but was there ever a brush with the law, sweetie? Yes, where it was like, okay, look, I can't ever let that happen again. Yeah, so I get pulled over just from hanging out with my friends. Um, I get pulled over and I knew I was gonna get pulled over. It was one of those situations where you get like scared and you just know like I ain't no way, you know, like I just fucked up. Like, ah. So I was, you know, I knew I, I I knew I was messed up. So I pull up to the side and immediately I start looking for my ID, you know, my driver's license, and I cannot yep. find it. I'm looking for it, I'm looking for it, I'm looking for it, and he's coming. I'm like, ah, he coming, he gonna get me. All right, he come. I was like, please, please. So he comes, he's like, you know, hey, you know, can I see your driver's registration? I said, I have my registration, but I don't have my driver's license. You know, I don't have my driver's license. I've, I've been looking for it. I, I can't find it. I think I might have left it at home. And he's like, well, in the state of Georgia, it's against the law. You can go to jail for not for driving without your driver's license. I'm going to need you to get out the car. And I was like, ah, no. I was like, no. Like, please, Lord, like, please. I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm like, this is literally the one time like that I got caught on some stuff, but I actually didn't do nothing. And I have no way to, 
get out of this. I'm over a driver's license. So I get into the back of this man's car. This police oh, car. Oh, he made you get in the back of the car? He made me get in the back of the car. I'm in the back of the car. He comes in. He looks up on some stuff in his computer. He's like, okay, you know, um, it don't have nothing right here, you know, um, and I said, sir, sir, look, I know I said, please don't take me, like, please don't, please don't take me to jail and do nothing like this because, Lord, I, I mean, look, look, man, I don't know if you're familiar with anything that I've done, but I try to put out, <laughs> I try to put out positive stuff out for the kids, you know, and, you know, I try to live a good positive life. Like, I don't want my mom and dad to have to see something like this and like, for this to be like that. That's not what this is, sir, sir. So I just pre- please hope that you can, he said, okay. He said, I just tell you like my kids, you know, plead your case, you know. And I was like, okay, you know, said everything I had to say, and he let me go. And I was just like, tell me why when I pull into the driveway of my house, my purse slides from under this bottom of the seat and my ID. Oh. So the whole oh, time, you know, I, went through, right I went through, but wait a minute, I went through all of that, got let go just to realize that my driver's license was in the car the whole time? I know, but that's what I said. Hold on. That's God right there, baby. No, seriously, you... That was a spirit trying to teach you a lesson, and 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 you worked it. And by the way, I was going to say, I was like, your speaking voice is so wonderful. Uh, you you can talk yourself out of a whole lot of shit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, all right, I already know. Now I'm gonna ask you a question too, though. Was he black? He was black. He was black. Now see, I'm I'm not gonna go down too far down the rabbit hole on this. No. But when it comes to celebrities and being a black celebrity. There's a whole nother issue with black cops messing with black celebrities. Now, I'm not going to necessarily say that was the case here because clearly it seems like some stuff was going on in your car. But he definitely went out of his way. And I can tell by the character you play in your changing of the void (laughs) that he went out of his way to say, I need to let this woman know that I'm in charge. And he recognized you right from rip. Dang. Am I not spitting? You, yeah, yeah, that's the point. Because I'm like, why you have to put me in the back of the car, though? In the back yeah. of the car? Please, sir, please. That sir. never should have gone all the way to the back of the car. And at the end of the day, what he was doing was he was testing your humility. He's in charge. He can break you all the way down if he wants to. And at every point, from step from I need to see your ID, to step out of the car, to put you in the back of the car, he was waiting for you to cut up. He was waiting for you to be like, okay, look, this is enough. I'm on TV. You can't treat me like this. Who do you think I am? And you didn't, I can hear it in your voice. You are such a sweet person that he just, you finally appealed to that very small corner in his heart that said, okay, she knows I'm in charge, but this ain't even necessary. I'm going to let her roll. And you know what? That's why God got me. I'm never going to hold you. You know what? You got to, you know, I ain't bigger than nothing. I ain't bigger than nobody. Look, at the end of the day, if you're looking for me to look human, you're going to see it every day, 24-7. You know what I'm saying? Unless I'm just acting crazy one day. But, like, for real, he I mean, if that's what he wanted to see, that's what he was going to see. Because you would never see me do nothing like, you know I mean, try to be on some crazy stuff. Oh, that's so cool. I love that you told that story. I love it. I love it. I love it. Acting-wise or singing-wise, has there ever been anybody that you were in the studio or you were on the set with that made you say to yourself, oh, I need to get back in the gym and get my skills up. Like, this person is just showing me that there's another level to this. I don't know if it's anybody I've been on the set with, but definitely people I've seen, like in a movie or, you know, like just seeing different, you know, even when you just... Like who? Say somebody, though. You said what? A a specific performance. 
specific performance? Who would it be? Let me think. Well, you just, you saw it and you were like, I can't do that, but I know that's good. And I need to go figure out how to do it. I mean, I know whenever I see, would watch Will Smith and just see the level of stunts that he could do in his films and understood like it's not just the acting it's not just the 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 comedy but it's also the actual skill set I think that's when like around 17 or 18 I told my mom I really wanted to be able to have the opportunity to one day do that and I realized that the people that get those opportunities or do those things didn't just start training the day they got the role they started training like two three years four years, five years, when they first manifested the idea that that's something they wanted to do. So at like 17, around 17 or 18, that's when I started to like say, okay, I want to get a trainer. I want to like learn how to eat well. And I want to really know how to get my body to the place where I can be like, you know, that action chick. Mm. I love that. I absolutely love that for real. I, I've never, it, it's rare to hear women openly speak about the physicality of the business. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a major part of it. It's depending on what roles you want to play. There's, you know, yeah. if you want to be that, that action person, then yeah. If you want to be that, you want to give a very real character. When you look at even some people like uh Charlize Theron, monster, monster, you know, she had yeah. to gain weight for that. And then for the other movie, I forget which action movie she did. She had to get slugged this. So it's like, depending on whatever role you physical, whether you getting bigger, getting tighter, getting whatever, it's always going to be a part of it because you're playing different people. So everybody's not going to have the same. <laughs> yeah, but I know I just, I really applaud you for that. There was an actress that I was very close with and I'm not going to say her name because it's just it's sensitive, but I knew that she needed to get in better shape to stay in the business. And I, and I watched her body just kind of fall apart. And most people would say, oh, you're shaming that person. I'm like, no, 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 baby. Like there's a fine line between you know, becoming a bulimic or having an eating disorder or or being fit enough to be competitive. Did you say this to like did you did she have a problem I mean, with this? Was, was, you know was she unhappy herself though? No, she just it she's just in a place where you couldn't talk about that, about her weight or something like that without it coming off like mind your business. You know what I'm saying? It was like, you know what I'm but talking did about. Did she wanna be did she wanna be that fit chick or did she just wanna be able to be that thick chicken serve it. There's a pressure on women in our business to be the object of someone's affections in a storyline. Right? That's just real. That's traditional. I think specifically, definitely, you know, especially in the past, and I, but I would hope to believe, and I think I'm seeing a little bit of that changing to where you, you are seeing different type of body types and nowadays, yes. where they are the object of the affection, you know, you see yes. that. But, but but I will say that that. Uh, but in the nineties, and it, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It wasn't, and that, that's the horrible thing about it is that you could only be the love, this type of love interest. Yes. As opposed to now, we are getting that a little bit more widening. But even still, now we still got a ways to go, child. Oh no, we got a, a long, long, long ways to go. Speaking of which, um, you had again. I'm not going to do anything cliche with you. That is my joy here. I, I will do nothing cliche with you. I cannot stand cliche interviews. I've been subjected to so many of them, promoting everything from Lifetime films to uh, stuff that I actually wanted to promote. <laughs> so, I cannot. <laughs> but um, um, you had a situation recently um, involving August Alsina and the and the Will Smith nonsense, which I covered heavily on my stories on Instagram. Tune in there if you want the jokes. Uh, but... <laughs> I loved how you handled it. You were so swaggy. 
I love just your face, the little face you made. I just, I was busting up at your face. And I just made the, 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 the mic pop. But, <laughs> um, but I wanted to use that to discuss what not to do on social media. Mm, and what things that you practice as a matter of fact I want to prove something my daughter's here actually but she's way on the other side Samaya can you come here for a second please and and don't fangirl out over her because everybody likes my I daughter so much more I always fangirl out over me. her especially when I see her on your page because you guys are twins here, you can put this, put it. so I'm going to ask my daughter something that I, that, I, that I teach her baby what happens what do you do when you see a comment in social media that hurts your feelings or you, you feel like they don't understand what you tried to say? Uh, block, strict. Block, restrict, or ignore. There you go. Thank you. Give me a kiss. Yeah, <laughs> so, those are her rules at age 11. That, and I want it, I don't want to sound like some dad that's like, oh, I'm so great of a dad. It's like, no, no, no. I got a rapport with my little girl that I know what she's going to say if I brought her over here. What can you add to that? You know what I'm saying? I see these little girls and stuff online and being subjected to some nonsense. And we have some just straight up rules and we just cut through it fast like samurai. No, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you you know, I feel like so many of us were the guinea pigs. So I can't say that I just popped out immediately feeling like I knew how to navigate social media. And I still think there's so much more for me to learn about social media. But I think I try to keep the things that I really care about private. That doesn't mean that sometimes I won't post a really close friend or a really great story. But I do try to learn the boundaries of what I will allow people to feel open to comment on, you know, or talk about or, you know, um, weigh in in on. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm still learning. But like you said uh, to your daughter, and she said so well, restrict Block or ignore. Understanding that every comment doesn't need a response. What do you do walking down the street if people yell ridiculous things at you? Do you reply or do you ignore? Do you acknowledge them or do you act like they don't exist? Do you walk the other way or do you go towards them? And so I think sometimes social media can make you feel like it's not the real world. And so you feel like you don't have the power that you have. But you have the power that you have when you hold it. So until you shine a light on that or shine a light on this, it don't exist. It doesn't have to exist to you. If there's something you want to say, say it. But you don't have to. And I think we have to remind ourselves that online because things get out of hand. Things get retweeted. Things start trending. And you feel like you've got to address it. You can address it if you want to address it. But you don't have to address anything, you know. I love it. I love it. Yeah, everything doesn't deserve a response. Have you ever felt that posting or not posting has affected your intimate relationship with somebody? Because sometimes, especially when you're, when you're working as a public figure and you're not posting about somebody you're involved with, sure, you know, they get, they get off some kind of way and it's like, look, that thing is different there for me. It's no reflection of how much I care for you. Like what, how, do, how does a woman deal with that? But you know, I think a lot of people don't understand what we also were speaking about, which is sometimes the, just the, the things that you know come with fame and how it affects people is even, you know, I, I know that, you know, to some people I'm popular. So whoever I may date, excuse me, whoever I may be around, they may receive the remnants of being connected to a popular person. But yeah. if you have an experience that you may not understand why someone like me may, may be very careful to do that is because I don't want to expose you to that. And I don't want you to have to then be able to handle it. And I don't want that to to to, you know, 
affect what we're doing. So I think a lot of people don't understand. Like when you thinking about being on in the public eye, anybody that becomes attached to you has to deal with whatever that means. You yes. know, if somebody hates you today, they hate them too. If somebody love them today, they love you too. If somebody harassing them, they harassing you too. So I I have to explain to people sometimes that I do it to protect people. You know, I don't yep. I don't always post everything, everyone, and what's going on to protect, not to hide or be ashamed. And I know that that can be seen and used both ways because some people maybe maybe that is what they're doing it for. But I know for me personally, it's to to protect people in in, in things. Kiki, I kind of lost a friend because she was. 15 years old. She was my babysitter, actually. She was kind of my babysitter. And I had a crush on her. And she was having a birthday party. And she invited me to... Um, can you believe it? I still had a babysitter at 13? But <laughs> Yeah, and she's just she, two years older. <laughs> right? Exactly. But that's my mom's idea. It was like, yeah, you're taller than my son and you need to watch him. You need to watch your... It's like, something else could go down, mom. <laughs> but, right? But, but it was like, she had a birthday party at Six Flags. And I didn't want to go because I was starting to realize that when I went to other kids' birthday parties, it wasn't about them anymore. And they started feeling some kind of way. But since I didn't go and we didn't have social media and phones like that back then where you could shoot somebody a text and explain all that, whatever, she took it as I blew off her birthday party. And we were kind of never the same after that. And I was trying to protect her. I just wanted her to enjoy her day at Six Flags with her friends. It made me feel so sad because that has happened to me so many times. And I'm sure that's happened to you more times than you could count. That's just one of the stories that you're deciding to share right now today. But that's what happens. And people don't understand, especially that the one, the taking attention one. That's one that can ruin, that's ruined oh, yeah. several Six Flag days for me. You know, the whole just just everywhere we go, we got to And It's not to we're not, I'm not saying it to say, oh, I was so popular. I remember one time I went to Universal Studios with my dad, my dad's twin brother, my mom, my sister, you know, our family, my uncle and my aunt were in town. But my uncle, he was suffering from kidney failure. And so he had to be on a very strict, you know, re, you know, a regimen, a schedule in order to make sure that he doesn't get too sick, understandably. But when I went to Universal City Walk, this is like at the top of True Jack's VP. You know, it was the most popular show at the time. And, you know, I was very recognizable. There was such a huge crowd that formed around me for me taking maybe one picture to me being surrounded by hundreds of people and my uncle needing to go to get on dialysis. Mm. And yeah. I'm sitting here. We got to tell the people, no, I don't know how to tell the people, no. They're screaming. Their parents are asking me for pictures. My family needs me to go. My uncle is sick, and now I look like an asshole. Yep. Yep. And, and what's what sucks is that the, the public could never understand that. So even if you told somebody or tried to explain, it was like, hey, we have a medical condition. Like, oh, come on, just one more. Yeah, they don't hear it. They don't care. They're not thinking about it. And it's just, it becomes so beyond you. It becomes so beyond you. No, and nobody wants to be like, oh, let me tell you this crazy, you know, let me tell you this child actor story. Cause it's not nothing I'm sad about or cry about, but it's an experience. It happened, it affected me then. And it just go, you know, it's it's dynamics that you wouldn't think of unless you were in the experience. You wouldn't expect it or imagine a scenario unless it's happened to you. It, it, the more I talk to you, you're just like, you are like grown, grown, grown. You're like three growns. You're like, 
Like all that Aquila and the Beast stuff, like, like, please, if you ever saw her like that, please just just leave her back there with Blockbuster Video. I'm so right? dead. But, Stop it. <laughs> right? <laughs> you are grown, grown. And, and and one of the things that grown people do is they get tattoos. So how do your daddy feel about oh, your tattoos? Oh my God. My first started getting tattoos. My dad also is super like I my dad grew up uh Catholic when um he became a deacon ordained at our church when I was like 10, 11 years old. So my dad is super like, I mean, he can be, he's fun and chill, but he's also pretty traditional in a lot of ways. So okay. when we first started getting tattoos, my sister started first. And so she was the one that got the, you know, he's like, y'all tattooing your heads up, piercing your ears up. I don't know what's going on, but he lets us do our, our thing. But he definitely started to tease us in the beginning when we started getting tattoos and all that kind of stuff and was like, Mm-mm, no, 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 you know, but he let us do us. He's like, once you ate, is it really addicting? I think it's so a little bit. It is. I mean, just the process of it, also getting your design, figuring out what you want. It's just, you know, give me. I got a whole list of them here. I could, I, I could bust you out, but I, I realize you're a private person. So give me, give me two or three of them that matter. I already know what body parts they are. I'm looking at the list. So. <laughs> My side piece, first of all, because it's my first art piece that I ever got. Um, it's like a bunch of different flowers and butterflies coming from the bottom of my arm on my right side to like, you know, my my, my uh, high hip or low hip, excuse me. And I love that piece because it's it's it, it's taken me so many places. I got part of it in Budapest, part of it in um, L.A., you know. And, and so I just love the different stories and moments of my life that I had building upon that tattoo. Um, and then my other favorite tattoo probably would be this quote that I have on my left arm um, that says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence mm-hmm. then is not an act, but a habit. And that's an Aristotle quote that I, I fell in love with as a teacher. That's on my list. That's on my list here. <laughs> and you say uh, one day you like to put something like uh, like strength on your arm because you came across another quote that talked about excellence and uh, it, it, it's it's not an act, but a habit. Yes, I that's love that one. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Excellence is not, not an a, act, but it's a habit. It's not an act. It's a habit. Yeah, it is. And I, that quote really helped me. And though I, that's why I love quotes so much, because I would read them and they, they would really resonate with me. As a child performer, especially, you have to have tremendous self-confidence. Like you have to you have to know thyself to a degree that most kids just don't know themselves at that age. Did you reach an age as a young adult where you began to doubt yourself and somebody or some in certain individuals you felt like took advantage of that, hit you up for money or whatever, and just caught you at a point where you were low? And if you had been on your game, on your kiki game, that wouldn't have happened. Was there ever a moment where that happened? If you don't want to talk about the person, just a moment, like what drove you to that moment and how'd you get out of it? For sure. When, when the, the age that it happens for most people, again, I think my background is entertainment, child entertainment. But in general, adolescence, growing from a kid to an adult, um, navigating that, that's a knock to your self-esteem, no matter who you are or what you are. And sometimes it can feel heavier, though, if you come from feeling so on top of the world as a child actor may. Um, so in coming into the ages of 17, 18, when my life started to really change, I was, you know, transferring from being just a kid to being an adult and what that meant for my career as well as who I was, who I wanted to be, what I had to say, how my ideas and thoughts changed, trying to balance and understand all of that, I think it did leave me open to be taken advantage of. Now, I will say 
never taken advantage of too much. You know, I think that was like my family, you know, really having my back. But just, you know, the wrong friends, people hating on me, talking, talking smack, you know, spreading business or, you know, not having my back really. And just, you know, using me or misusing, abusing me or, oh, you know, she got it. So she going to pay, you know, uh, yep. stuff like that for sure. Um, and you just, you know, I think what happens is you, this is the thing, you have to experience that because you, you can't be confident about someone you ha- that hasn't even been created yet. Like as a kid, sure. you know who you are, you're confident about it because that's what it is. But then you start to become someone new. You start questioning what you used to be solid about. You start realizing that, oh, wow, I actually don't feel the same way about my, about things that my parents do. Oh my gosh, I think different than my parents. That's never happened. All of that that goes on, I think it's, it's very normal for it to start to affect who you want to be and see yourself as. And then in that moment, then, then you're rediscovering your boundaries. You're rediscovering what's okay. And that takes some time. So I think, you know, oh, definitely right. in the 17, 18, 19 those were some really self-discovery years. And I feel like now that I'm in to the late 20s, I've kind of, I'm now at more of my understanding of what my 20s were about. You know, when I got to 15, 16, I'm like, I'm hitting my stride and as far as kids world and my, what I think about being a kid. Then it was like, uh-oh, now I'm going from kid to adult. I don't know. And then now at 25, 26, 27, I've been like, I'm getting the hang of this adult thing or, or this 20-year-old adult thing. We, I think we have, uh, I think we have that in common. Is that people like you and myself, we probably have a greater collection of boundaries that most people are aware of. It could almost look like one of them uh, laser beam uh, rooms that you got that Tom Cruise has to get through. Yeah, and we <laughs> understand them, and we understand them, and respect them. Yeah, but we respect them. So it's like I know your boundaries, so I can move through that laser beam room easy. But another dude is just getting zapped trying to get to know Kiki and just dealing deal with Kiki. Like, don't go for too far, love. <laughs> Baby, listen, I know you got to go. Uh, she is sitting here looking just lovely in her hoodie and millionaires in hoodies. They have to be places. That's what that's about. Um, I adore you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it, it wouldn't be ever after if I didn't have the opportunity to connect with people like you. And uh, keep it going. Tell Michael Strahan I said, what's up? I love that dude. I wish we could have talked about him more, but maybe I'll have you back on again because Michael Strahan yes. is a monster of a mentor. Monster of a mentor. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he really taught me a little someone too about real estate, love. Now get it. Hey, oh, his real estate game is crazy. Crazy. Right? I feel like he was like a rich white man in a former life. He's crazy. <laughs> He's crazy nice. <laughs> well, I love you, Jaleel, and I thank you so much right. for having me on. We definitely got to do it again, man. All right, Baruch. Kisses. <laughs> 